So we'd like to take some time to respond to our good friend, Dr. John Cobb's critique of our book, A Philosophical War, uh, that he'd recently completed reading, at least part one of it anyway, Um, and sort of just talk about some of the things uh, that he and I had discussed, Um, mostly and, and most centrally, this notion of what consciousness is, uh, because it is absolutely critical to understand a philosophical war, um, to get a notion of what we are talking about when we're talking about consciousness. Uh, in general, of course, but especially within philosophical war. Uh, Regardless of uh, whether you're familiar with process studies, um, the the argument and counter-argument can be made pretty clearly and very intelligibly. Um, Cobb, of course, is the world's leading theologian in process, philosophy, thought, uh, and he, he truly, again, he does not say so himself, uh, and as much as I, we have pressed him on it in the past to do so, he truly is the godfather of uh, process theology. What process is, is not exactly, well, will be sort of covered ostensibly here. Um, At least parts of it. Uh, That's not the point or or premise uh, to this particular dictation. Um, however, again, it, we are going to talk at length about it here uh, in, certain, in, in certain respects. But again, you don't have to be a process theologian or philosopher or a theologian or philosopher of any sort uh, in order to comprehend the argument, counter-argument uh, for all of this. And to say even that it is an argument or a counter-argument, I don't think is quite correct. Um, and I'll, I'll dive into that here because I believe that we were really very much on the same side of the discussion. As John himself mentioned to me while we were talking, is that there's, there is probably largely, uh, simply, it's simply a matter really of a different orientation. Uh, we both had pointed out that this is also largely a, a language game that we are playing with one another, as are all communicative 
uh, thoughts and ideas that, that involve uh, language. Uh, they're because of the abstraction of language, because a language is an abstracted substance. Um, you know, there's no way really to get around it, uh, to, not to play a, a, a game, a language game, because of its conceptualized nature and because it, it does stand out uh, as uh, again a, a tool against reality. It doesn't ever really quite touch that veritable happening <clears throat> that we so often discuss. So here is the general premise of the argument, again, if you can call it such, from both sides. One side, uh, the philosophical wars side, says basically this, that consciousness is elemental to the universe, that you cannot have, it's elemental to physical matter, uh, it's elemental to phenomenology, uh, it, it is a part of reality. In fact, we said a number of different times in a philosophical war that consciousness, vim, and verity all together can really be used interchangeably. And we equated that a number of, of times, um, even though we were not trying to, to build up a new uh, sort of hierarchical kind of uh, theosophy here. <clears throat> but it, it is very much in the way that there's that triumvirate of uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in uh, Christianity and Catholicism, general Christianity. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and how those entities can be, again, kind of interchanged within one another. Um, much in that uh, same vein, them, verity, and consciousness can be interchanged and, and used um, together with one another um, in order to explain. Uh, there are three different words that really truly explain or point to a similar happening. And of course, because words are you know, just these sort of puzzle pieces of language, uh, and, and not actual reality, not veritable realities themselves. Uh, that is, they have no existence outside of the meaning that we give to them. Um, have no feeling, no emotion, no, no matter. No, outside of, the ha has to be attached to um, a kind of consciousness to exist, um, which abstracts it, which brings it into conception. So, the contention is that, however, consciousness, vim, and, and verity, again, are, are really all the same things. Um, and the largest point, probably the, the, the sharpest arrow fired 
within a philosophical war is this notion that <clears throat> you cannot have being without consciousness. Consciousness gives rise to being just as much as being gives rise to consciousness. Um, you can't have a thing without something being aware of that thing. Just as in the same way you can't have uh, a consciousness or something that you can say is conscious or consciousness itself um, without it being conscious of something. Now, quite simplistically, the argument against that and admittedly, the argument that is postulated that we put forth in a philosophical war is, I, I hate to sort of divvy, divvy it up in this way exactly, but what we put forth in a philosophical war is quite a bit more Eastern sounding so far as its philosophy is concerned or so far as its orientation is concerned. Uh, and the counter presented by John, the counter argument there is a incredibly Western argument. Um, totally steeped in, uh, you talk about different orientation points and admittedly, we certainly have more than just a foot in the door so far as a philosophical war is concerned, certainly more than, than just a uh, slight leaning towards what one might consider more a uh, Eastern, a Hindu, a Buddhist, Taoist sort of perspective. That's absolutely true. I mean, uh, again, I, I hate to put it in those terms to, to, to divvy it up between East and West, but to understand the argument and, and counter argument, um, it's a, it's a little back history there. So uh, our argument is that again, you can't have a thing without something perceiving of that thing's existence. Uh, we often speak in a philosophical war of consciousness as, although I'm not, I'm not sure it's ever actually alluded to directly or, or spoken of directly, but more it is uh, really more so alluded to that consciousness is a kind of field <clears throat> that there is a grand form of that exists. Uh, certainly, we speak about the, quote, grand form of consciousness, unquote, um, quite frequently throughout the philosophical war. Uh, the grand form of consciousness is meant to be, and again, remember that you can interchange really verity, vim, uh, which... Uh, to give some history on, on those two words, if we're not familiar with them at this point, uh, philosophical war postulates that Verity and Vim are um, 
reality uh, or anything that is said to be real um, is is has verity or is verity and vim is the energy by which that reality is brought forth um, again however you can use it interchangeably with consciousness vim verity consciousness uh, is sort of makes up that trinity of of actuality um, you can't have anything without you can't have them without verity without consciousness you can't have consciousness without them without verity, and so on and so forth so um, again the grand form of consciousness sort of operates in a as a a field, um, or, or it, it is certainly, it certainly could be read as, or interpreted as, operating as a field. That's not exactly how it was meant to have been described in a philosophical war. And I'll give you sort of, uh, this was also mentioned in our conversation with Cobb, was that Consciousness uh, is, and this might be, if we're going to really, really sort of get nitpicky, but that's what philosophy does, and so I'm, I'm okay with playing that game. <clears throat> but consciousness and vim and verity, they're kind of catch-all terms uh, for all that is, because everything has its own kind of reality. And again, without, uh, there can be no reality itself without a consciousness uh, of that reality. That, that brings that, that, that sets that stage for reality to, to exist. So, um, in consciousness, because it, it, it is this, this sort of catch-all. Yes, we could read it as a, way, a field, um, but it's also not a field. It also takes place on very independent, individual levels. Um, and yet, at the same time, consciousness exists where we do not, certainly in the West, think of it as existing it without a doubt so far as a philosophical war is concerned uh, operates in whatever way that it needs to in, in order to sustain verity now whether it has to operate as a field, um, as the grand form of, as the particular consciousness, and those are more or less the two types of consciousness, the two types of um, manifests of consciousness, generally speaking, uh, that we talk about. Whether it has to operate as, as in that grand form or, or in the particular um, is obviously 
dependent uh, upon how we look at something. And of course, there was a uh, there's another section where we talk about the title of the section. In fact, is there are no laws; there are only relations, and everything is only, is a relation. And how things are related to one another is within, and here it is as a field, or here it is as operating as a field within a field of consciousness or within a field of verity. So things relate to one another operationally within that field of, of consciousness. It's all about perspective. And if there is no perspective uh, by individual consciousness, the grand form of consciousness holds it all together. Now, something about the grand form of consciousness that needs to be understood is that the grand form of consciousness has portions in it that might not necessarily be conscious, per se. Um, one of Cobb's critiques was, well, how do you account for unconscious happenings and events? And this is where I had to say again, well, yeah, it, it's, it has a veritable existence. Existence is existence is existence, whether something is conscious of it or not. But what we think of as, quote unquote, in the West, consciousness is, is not exactly how a philosophical war deals with the term. So consciousness for a philosophical war is something much larger than what we currently think of it, uh, specifically, again, here in the West. It, it, myriads, um, myriads of things, uh, animate and inanimate, have consciousness. Everything, because again, everything that is veritable also has consciousness. Even though it might not be consciousness in the way that we as human beings or you know, something that is, is biologically conscious or something that is even conscious uh, because of its nervous system, it, it, it might not be this universal kind of conscious experience of, of things. You know, your, um, I don't know, faucet might not be exactly, you know, sad on a particular day that doesn't get used. It might not be aware of the score of the baseball game on or something. Yeah, it, but in a way, because it has existence within this field of all other things, it is very conscious. Um, because, again, it has a reality. And that reality is undeniable. Um, even it is undeniable in our current manifest. But, again, everything is just a relation. And you are related to a thing by your conscious, by your awareness. Even if your awareness, and I know this is where it gets a little soupy, but even if you're, you're unaware 
of that thing. There is still a field of reality. There is still a field of consciousness that keeps things that we might not have awareness about in existence, and they still have their own realities, of course. You you might not be aware of your heart beating, and yet it does. You might not be aware of a certain level of oxygen in the air, but but there is. And and these things have realities all in themselves, in in the way that you might not be aware that uh, the guy across the table, the poker table from you, is holding pocket aces. They're... Again, consciousness, awareness about something is a relation just like anything else. So, consciousness itself um, is both a field and this particularized happening, operating at the same time. Everything within it, every, all being, all phenomena, has a, a particular degree of, of consciousness because it has existence. Because uh, when that faucet stands out as itself, as a faucet, um, it, it helps to, uh, it, it affects directly the bath towel, <laughs> um, you know, the shower head, the toilet, all, it, it, it is going to spatially, uh, chemically, physically, um, aesthetically, it, it, it affects all of it. It's, it's a component of existence. And if something exists, by its very existence, it either possesses an awareness of itself in that the faucet isn't trying to be the showerhead, right? The faucet is simply, even though it is a humanly constructed object uh, that might not even have a, a use per se, but all, all those things are, or might not ever be in use. Maybe it was turned on once and the house never got bought and it stood there for all eternity. Right? Whatever the case might be, that faucet has and existence. It has a reality, and, and its reality, much like that wanted butterfly effect, is going to have an impact on all other creation. And by having that impact, there is a, see, there is an awareness, see, because when things happen, again, the, the faucet is not trying to, to be the floor mat. It has its own function. It is, I mean, you turn the handle for the hot, and it's aware that it's supposed to, boom, produce hot water. It, it, it has its own sort of functionality that many people will say, at least in today's day and age, that it is a ludicrous claim, at least in the West. 
in the East, they're like, yeah, yeah, this is thousands of years of old news. So, and this is where it becomes like this sort of, you know, battle, this cultural and uh, even, you know, time or battle of time and thinking uh, uh, across these, these great traditions. But there is a capacity, there is a function that um, lends different things within phenomena, that lends different realities to, again, this sort of awareness of themselves. Um, and that awareness, that uh, that simple, that's their simple being of, and being of, and or, or being with, um, is talked about at great extent in a philosophical war, um, simply by things being with and of themselves. That. Is, is where all sort of the this power lies. Um, things are simply what they are, and that's not a profound statement in any way, shape, or form. But what gets to be profound is that the, by their by and through their simple being, all other being is created. Um, and and that is evident through uh, those simple things existences um, given that they do have an effect on on all being um, and there is an awareness of that effect because there is a chain reaction of, of other effects. Uh, and that chain reaction is quite clearly a, a kind of consciousness. The one rock slides off of a mountain, uh, of a mountainside, and it hits other rocks that, that are also mobile, that also start to tumble, that hit other rocks that start to tumble, that create an avalanche. Well, there's an awareness there. You know, there, these, there are these rocks, these individual rocks that have individualized being, that get hit by other individualized beings, other rocks. And these these individualized pieces of, of being uh, obey and abide by a certain set of rules and laws and uh, that I mean physical or, or you know with, with their own properties or, or otherwise and um, because they are what they are they act they and, and yeah, they, they might have been forced to do so by other beings, but there is an awareness that they are rocks and rocks. This is what happens when rocks get hit by other rocks when they're sitting on top of, of or 
a mountainside, and this is this is what they do. There, there's an aware. It's all of being has an awareness of what it is. It doesn't ever try and act out against itself. So, in a philosophical wars general statement. Again, things that we don't necessarily see as conscious are very conscious in their own way. Because, again, those rocks slide off the mountain side and they affect the entire mountain which affects the region which affects right, the climate of that region, and so on and so forth. The single rock falling, the butterfly's wings. Everything is aware of a happening, of, of phenomena, of all of these other things. They, they react to it. Because they react physically, that means there is an awareness there. <laughs> Whether, whether it's the individualized beings themselves that are aware or something larger, there is an awareness because, precisely because things happen, and I don't mind to get too Cartesian and say, because things happen, there is consciousness. <laughs> but kind of, maybe, maybe who knows, well. It's, maybe it'll be like that band that never thought that they were going to get famous for that song or be known for that that song that they hated. But I don't necessarily like the notion per se, but um, it is more or less true that being gives rise to consciousness. Consciousness is a kind of of action. And that, so that's what we're, we need to really actually pick up the debate. The debate is that process philosophy sees things as as John Cobb had mentioned to me. He's mentioned this to me a, a number of times. Uh, William James wrote an essay uh, that basically says that there is no consciousness. There are only things that are conscious. Consciousness is just something that is that happens um, to beings when there is a sense uh, about them. When 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 things line up biologically and senses are produced it's it's very it seems to me very attached at least that way of looking at it exclusively very attached to biology which i'm not necessarily a fan of not that i'm not a fan of biology but just that sort of line of thinking but consciousness has to be you know attached to biological entities but in process in process thought, the argument is a little bit different. Uh, a little bit. Uh, that 
yes, there are, there is no such thing as consciousness as a field, but what there is, uh, are uh, many, many events. There are all these individual occurrences. There's all this action. There's all this happening. And that's what they're, that's really process is broken down into events that play out and that um, larger organisms are, are just a series of events. That there is no individuality, that everything is connected through a series of uh, events and occurrences. Um, and in its own way, uh, you know, process thought is very Eastern itself because it does not take up this uh, Kantian, Cartesian view of things that are you know, isolated um, from the rest of existence. There is, you know, the, the mind and the body and the soul and every, everything is broken up into, you know, these, these very distinctive borders. Um, but process just looks at things as events. All it sees. And in doing so, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there are just an infinite amount of, of events that, that occur. Um, that, again, there is no human being, per se. There are a, there's a confluence of uh, cells and the cells, um, you know, operate in a certain way and create organs and you know, the organs are strung together with, uh, you know, so there, there is not something that is, that can be pointed to as a particular thing. Only this confluence of a myriad of events. And then they, I mean, again, you can, you can go as far out into left field with, with that as possible. Uh, so far as what kind of events are there, um, you know, uh, how large or small that they might be. Um, but everything is, is an event. So, so much so that, uh, you can't call anything, anything, but, and I mean, as I just mentioned before, it's much the same way in a philosophical war. You know, things are been varied in consciousness. That's, that's what they are. It's, it's one of those things and all of those things at the same time. Um, the same, same is sort of said with process, although process has events, occurrences, emotion, um, its own kind of event, sort of. 
Uh, and again, not, not that I am an expert on process thought by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and there were some process theologians that will say that things are, you know, very clearly defined as events and emotion. And, you know, there's this thing called dipolarity, which is there's the eternal nature uh, of of God itself, of things, and then there's the nature of, of God that lives within time. Um, but there's no, and it doesn't matter what Whitehead or Hartshorn or Cobb have said about process, about what the rules are, they can be interpreted in any way, shape, or form. Just like frigging anything else. It doesn't matter if all three of them stand up and say the, the exact same thing about process. It doesn't mean that there's not room for interpretation. Of course. It wouldn't be true or good philosophy, or you wouldn't be... But this is the problem with, with that so many you know, academics take as well. No, this is what you know, it was said about it, and that's the way it is. Well, do your own thinking about it. You know, maybe maybe cut against the grain and and have you know, some of your own insights about these things. But I will get off that soapbox um, before standing too proudly upon it. So um, these things can be again kind of interpreted in their own way, um, but in process thought. The argument is that, quite simply, consciousness is not a substance. And as I've just explained in a philosophical war, consciousness very much can be a substance, just as it can be something that doesn't have any substance. That grand form of consciousness, that, that you know, being itself, phenomena in its entirety. At these larger levels, it's not that a philosophical war is saying that these things are, are, are conscious um, in that broad Kind of, kind of way. Um, yeah, the, the, the grand form uh, of these things is not as though the grand form has a particular kind of, of consciousness about th- that that is its own entity, um, and that's the main critique that Cobb really had is that it sounds like we're saying. Not that it sounds like we're saying, but we are saying that there is consciousness and consciousness um, has this kind of awareness uh, without being attached to individuals and that that cannot be. Now, Clearly, <laughs> we we disagree with that statement. However, I think the disagreement, as mentioned previously, is more a language game 
than anything else. Um, process uses events, occurrences, um, emotion as ways to describe the world, as ways to describe its own you know, uh, well, existence and, and all that is. Um, to me, it seems pretty obvious that it truly is a different orientation with this larger happening um, that, that basically says that nothing can be, uh, you can't have consciousness without something, without individuals that are conscious. Um, doesn't actually for us really hold water. Uh, of course, I didn't want to say this and, and press too heavily against John while he and I were, were talking. I, I respect John deeply, uh, more than respect. I, I, I love the man. He has given and taught me so much. Um, not just about philosophy, but I mean, more so about uh, life and yeah, just, just the world. So I didn't want to push back on him too much with this. Uh, all that being said, it, it, and this is not necessarily just to me, but if, if you take a grander approach, a, a, a more objective stance. And that is admittedly part of the point of a philosophical war is, of course, to get to this veritable existence that, you know, the verity itself um, has this sort of objectivity to it because it is, it is what is, it is what is real, it is reality itself. It is all these things. Um, and because um, it's attempting at this objectivity, and yet within this, uh, within objectivity, of course, um, it allows for all sorts of subjectivity. But process is uh, attempting to explain the world and I believe that it is so frequently caught up in its own terminology in its own linguistics um, it's set its parameters in, in, and I know it, it is in a much more open system than any, just about any philosophy out there. And that's what's so amazing and beautiful and phenomenal about it, is that it is really a very open philosophy. That is, it really is, as I just mentioned, um, inter open to so much interpretation and, and is inviting of it often um, in, in a way that many other philosophies, many other uh, world views, in fact, are, are not. 
And yet the problem still remains that it is still a philosophy itself, that it, it, it has created its own system. And as part two of a philosophical war speaks about, and at the time of this dictation, it's, that, that portion is not yet out, but um, it's already been written. But as part two states, that systems themselves uh, quite simply are not all that great. Because anytime we have a system, we have something that is trying to fit reality into it rather than rather than trying to see reality for what it is and make a description about it. Now, I very much think, and I hope to God, Cobb never hears any of this. I, I, I really hope he doesn't. Uh, because again, I mean, had, had I wanted to contend with him, I, uh, I, I, would have, I would have sparked the debate. It's, it's not what I wanted to do. Um, but anytime we have a system, that, that system is going to be beholden to itself. And even though process, as I just mentioned, is as open as can be, it's still precisely because it is a system, a victim of its own parameters. And it is beholden to those parameters. It is caged off, bound up, and gagged, ironically enough, by language. Because at a certain point, a philosophical system is only held together by the language that it uses, of course. Um, you know, we use language to describe the ideas. Well, as a philosophical word sort of demonstrated is that for some of our ideas, there were no words for, for these things. So we had to invent new ones in order to make the, the philosophy and the theology behind it stick. Because what existed previously or, or currently within the lexicon just it wasn't there. So we had to come up with, with new ways um, to describe those things. But we're still beholden to a system. We're still beholden to a language, which, um, uh, as a system, has its own limitations. And it's a system, uh, as is any system, that's trying to get an access to. A philosophical war has a completely different orientation. There is no... There is no closed system in a philosophical war. I mean, yes, there's vim, there's verity, there's consciousness. Um, but those three things are so malleable that, uh, and, and this is what I imagine, you know, a lot of Western minds, a lot of conceptualized 
sort of thinking is going to hate about it, but they're so malleable that they can be anything at all, which means that they are, you know, potentially nothing at all. But that's kind of a part of APW's sort of mystique. It, there is a, it is not, it is not all that alive without its inherent mysticism. Um, because the problem is the problem with philosophy, at least at least that we have generally, is that it it, it attempts at reality and then yet constructs its own it has its own metaphysics um, that is it creates its own reality and then attempts to you know fit everything in, into that description into that narrative um, so while it's initial aim is correct it, it winds up so diametrically opposed to what it had set out to do that it becomes a refutation of itself you know a particular philosophy attempts to describe the world can't adequately do so because it tries to be a system and it tries to create all these rules and all these laws and all these things that don't really exist. But it tries to, to make them exist and then fit them into uh, its own framework that it has constructed. And again, this is the irony of it. It's, it's looking at the world at reality, attempting to describe it, attempting to state how things are, but then it, through that attempt, creates a system, closes itself off <laughs> to that reality, to what's actually there, and uh, winds up as far away from reality as it could possibly be. And that's the, the irony and, and the sad thing of it. Um, and this is, I mean, it's one of the many reasons philosophy drives me uh, so in, incredibly just insane. Because, uh, um, and I mean, it can literally drive you insane if you try it too much or try too much of it on. Um it is like the great drug that can both potentially free or completely capture you depending on how it's used. Oh. Um. A philosophical war has a different orientation. Um, like all the other philosophies out there, it attempts to describe the world. It does attempt to get objective. It does. Um, to have this truth, uh, to, to capture what is. And other philosophies claim that they, they do, but I, I feel like we did something 
because it was so central to our, our aim, um, we did something that um, looked a little bit different. And I'm not going to say it was better um, or, or more accurate. It certainly doesn't fit into uh, the easy kind of the easy and, and neat kind of experiences that we have as human beings. Um, see the West, but, the, but this is my problem with Western thinking is that it assumes that what we experience based on almost holy sensory perception, that that is the whole of consciousness, that that is all that there is. And it generally bases its entire philosophical uh, sort of framework around that very, very, in our minds anyway, the immature notion. And process, unfortunately, is victim to this as well, uh, to, to a degree. Um, most notably in its notion that, and I don't want to get into time here too much, but most notably in its notion that the past is concrete. That the past has happened, that there's only one vantage point of in all of time, and that we're all experiencing time at the exact same moment in the universe, and that what has happened has already happened, and that's it. Now, if you see things just as they are from our own experience, that seems obvious, right? Well, I, I once was a little girl, and now I'm a full-grown woman. Uh, there once must have been nothing because now there are trillions and trillions of stars and billions and billions of planets and comets and asteroids and black holes and dark matter, all this stuff. Well, it must have at one time that, that looked differently. There, the lake was once dry and, and now it's full. There was once a desert here and now it's a rainforest. So change is, is, is elemental. Um, and change, given what our understanding of time, means that time has a past, that, that there was occurrence, there was something cosmological that occurred, there were causes amongst causes amongst causes, and those things are concretized in the past. However, when you take this approach of things being composed of consciousness, consciousness being elemental to the world, we see that quite clearly that there, in order for there to be a, a past and a present and a, a, an 
aiming future that there very must there very much must be um, some grand conductor some grand thing in form um, and what that grand conductor might be I mean you could simply say it's just time itself but unfortunately and see process thought can get along and much of Western thought itself can get along without um, without this need for consciousness at all um, it's thinking looks something like this the universe was created it occurred there are many events that happen within it and we just became conscious of those things because of you know, biological events that constructed themselves in such a way that we just became aware of all this being and all this this happening around us it, it, it never happened um, had we never become conscious, well, things would just be anyways. But you see, the problem there is, that is fucking absurd. <laughs> because, and that might be my best philosophical argument right there, but, um, and this is why I—I I mean, I, I could never tell John. Well, no, that's a, and it's—it's not—it's not that I think that this is a dumb way of thinking or, or nothing like that. And it, really, it's not that absurd. It's—it's it's so logical. That way of thinking is so logical, based on what we think that we know. And what we think we know is all based on what we are able to experience. So the problem with Western thought in general is it is based around what it has the capacity to experience. That is a huge, huge problem. Because we have to understand that as subjective individuals, what we're able to experience is minute, to say, uh, I mean, to put it mildly. Um, we are so unconscious of so many things, um, so unaware, that to base a philosophy on only the things that we can describe and understand uh, is is that it's it's absurd. It's it's a horrible way of going about doing any kind of thinking, um, precisely because we simply don't have this infinite access. We don't have um, we're not privy to objectivity. Um, we're not omniscient. And the 
because of our subjectivity, uh, we're limited to a very, very narrow philosophical uh, construct. Um, and yet we live and die by it every day. Every minute of every day. And that's the whole point of the philosophical wars. It's trying to bring us out of that conceptualized state uh, and bring us to face to face and into a direct touch with reality as it is, not as we are. And you see, that's what philosophy from the West attempts to do. It, it attempts to to bring its to bring reality uh, in, into human terms, where the only kind of philosophy that's worth a damn is something that allows for mysticism, is something that allows for that unknown to occur. Because if you want to get very real about it, we as subjective, limited human beings uh, have to be aware of all that we are not aware of. And it, it, there, there's, there's nothing... Science tries to make us aware of, of everything, but it, it simply can't because, again, it's we're only able to do science from what we from what we are aware of to do science on, <laughs> and what we are aware of and how we're aware of trying to measure things, how we're aware of you know uh, trying to test for certain things. There, there's 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 only there's only science based on how human beings are able to do science and what i mean by that is we are we only have the capacity to do science um as we know how to do it it's it, it might sound like a confused statement but it, it's really very, very simple. Um, we, we don't know to test for... The periodic table of elements um, is what we think of have all the elements that... All the known elements. How many elements out there are unknown because they're, they've not been detected or can't be detected given our construction as human beings? Given our physiological or conscientious makeup as, as human beings. Um, so the same thing is true in philosophy. The exact same thing. That there's only a, a, an ability based on a bit, an ability to philosophize about something based on our capacity to think and our our conscientious compa capacity is is not as large as we generally perceive it to be i think we think far too much of ourselves um, we have far too much faith in 
our own uh, capacity to perceive and our own capacity to master things. Uh, even to be so bold as to attempt to master reality itself. Uh, and, and again, if we had a different orientation, um, which is the point in part of a philosophical war, it, it, it does attempt to, to not have an orientation to look at the way that things are not how our philosophy attempts for them to be then we have you know a, a something that we can can really actually begin to to get in touch with precisely because we remove the center point we, we get rid of the individual. We get rid of, of that exact personhood, that, that, that singular being that all of this centers around in every philosophy, every uh, basic, you know, general person uh, every idea is going to have that sort of sort of center, right? You can't get away from it. Um, but that's what makes this a little bit different, is that um, there is no exact orientation. There is no exact personhood. There is no exact thing that um, that has all of this kind of orbiting around it so far as, um, you know, where it orients itself from, how uh, it relates to all of these things. Um, it's very much displacing the human being, the person, and throwing the, the individual human being into the midst of uh, experience, of, of phenomena, of being, of verity. It's just a part of all these things. That's not central to the story. But what it is and what it does so uniquely is central to the story. In that humanity is has this very unique access to consciousness. And that it seems to be conscious in a way that other things are not. However, the operative words there are seems to be. Um, for all that we know, we might be the most unconscious things on the planet. On the uh, in the universe, we we don't know. We make this grand presumption about the way that things are, because that's how we perceive them to be. And that is very dangerous. It's very dangerous to do at any level. 
And yet, we do it all the time, every day. At every, at every conceivable level. And that's why we wind up with so many bad philosophies now. Bad, bad metaphysics, bad philosophies, bad science, bad everything. Now, the real heart of the issue, though, at least so far as an objection is concerned to this, and, and we'll try and kind of tackle this succinctly, maybe we'll leave it to another part. But I, we wanted to, to set up the stage, we wanted to set the parameters here so that we understand the, the backstory behind it all. But the real question then becomes, is, is can consciousness, is consciousness a substance? Can it be a substance? Or are there simply things that are conscious? That's, that's the real question. Now, orienting from where a philosophical war does, not only can consciousness be a substance, it is a substance because it's, it's everything. In fact, nothing can exist without it. So it both has the form as a substance and as the individualized and particularized. And why we state this is, again, quite simply because of the fact that you, you cannot have a thing without the realization of the thing. Even, the re even if the realization of the thing is just other quote-unquote non-conscious things happening around it that compose and comprise it. That is its own sort of awareness, as we explained before. Now, I think that Cobb and process and the West, not to criminalize you know, any of these factions, but it seems to me that that just general line of thinking um, doesn't take into account the fact that things have to happen um, in order I mean th th things can't just happen without, without a recognition of, of that happening. Um, I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. But it seems to me that we're all just, that, that, that Western kind of modus is just playing a language game. And John and I talked about this pretty extensively, is that it is just playing this game of, well, what you call events, I call consciousness. What you call emotion, I call consciousness. <laughs> what you call occurrence, I call consciousness. It, it's, it's an awareness, it's a being, it's a happening, it's action. It's, it's all of these things 
as, as operating as one. But the West so frequently attempts to stratify and the regiment and uh, box in phenomena to such a degree that it, it gets tripped up by its own labels of things. And that doesn't serve anyone or anything uh, for very long anyways. So that becomes problematic. Much in the same way that I think to call everything consciousness becomes problematic. But that really only becomes problematic to a conceptualized mind. Is if you are so far removed from conscious or from 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 concepts that you can see everything as that's in its substantive form is that primordial ooze of being then then what's the difference then what why then why attempt to well you know codify everything based on its its particularized being to me that doesn't doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense if you're attempting to get at truth itself so the argument i think succinctly is uh, as to whether or not consciousness can be a substance I think the answer to that argument is it depends on <laughs> depends on how you look at it, much like everything in philosophy. But if you are attempting to look at it truly for what it is and not trying to you know come at this from any particular vantage point see to see it in this way you have to forget everything that you've learned you have to forget your own experience and just see things the way that they are that's the only way we're ever going to actually have a, a revolution within our minds a revolution of being is in order to truly understand, we have to unlearn all the things that life and phenomena have taught us. Because there's more to life and being than who we are. That's clear. That's obvious. Uh, you know, look past your own hand to see what is there, truly and really. And you'll notice it does not all necessarily center around you, the human individual, it centers around itself. You are a part of it. And yet when you see that your own consciousness has everything to do with what's happening, everything to do with what's happening, then you see at the same time how unique and simultaneously insignificant that thing that we think of as individual being actually is how important and inconsequential 
becomes all these things all at once simultaneously because again it is all these things there's there's no there's nothing that can be defined truly and accurately about it not not in any real meaningful way anyways because any attempt to do so is is just another conception it's just another idea So, this might all just be a language game, which is fine. Uh, but it's it's one I, I hope not to play for for all all that long. <laughs>